We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmine. It's a, it's a crazy uh, section of scripture when you look at this uh, in 2 Corinthians 11. And we're going to see basically two things. Number one, uh, the forced boasting. It was kind of like a forced boasting upon Paul. And then number two, the focused boasting. It's kind of cool. He was forced to boast in order to protect the congregation. But um, when he did boast, he was focused on two things. Number one, the sovereignty of God. And number two, the weakness of man. And it's cool when you think about it as we get into the scripture right here. You know, um, when you think about the force boasting, and I know this isn't a parallel, it's not a perfect parallel, but for whatever reason, I kind of latch on to it as an example. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, let's just say you're in a, in a situation where you got to protect somebody. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you really must protect someone? And, and when you're in that situation, uh, sometimes you got to, you know, fight fire with fire. You know, if someone's trying to hurt your family, if someone's trying to hurt your family, let's just say they get a little violent, what, what are you going to do? You're going to get violent. If someone's trying to hurt your family and they pull out a gun and you got a gun, what are you going to do? You're going to pull out a gun. It's kind of like that, you know. We don't want it to go there. When we get into situations with people, you know, we try to use a peaceful solution. We attempt vigorously to, you know, reason. But a lot of times people will not, will not reason along those lines. And so we have to kind of take it a step further. Uh, these guys were boasting. They were saying, hey, we got all the credentials. This is our certificate of ordination. We're coming over and we're taking over the church. And Paul was not willing to yield because he was simply protecting the people. And so that's what we read right here in verse 16. Paul says, uh, I don't want you to think I'm a fool. Notice what he says. I, I say again, let no one think me a fool if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Again, Paul says, I don't want you to think I'm a fool, but I guess at the end of the day, even if you do, would you receive me anyhow? Would you listen to me as I boast a little bit? I mean, this is kind of how he began this section. If you'll notice in verse 1 of this chapter, he says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. He knew he was going to kind of get a, a little out of the ordinary, you know? I mean, he, he says there in verse 17, What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. He kind of says, you know, I admit our Lord wouldn't boast like this. This isn't his methodology. Neither would we ever see Jesus get violent. I don't think that would ever happen, right? It's not the way that he works, but I'm kind of being forced to act foolishly, Paul says, to let you know who I am. And I know it sounds funny, but 
you know, for your protection, you need to know that by the grace of God, I am called and commissioned by Jesus Christ. You know, Warren Wiersbe said, Paul was not denying the inspiration of the words of Jesus when he says right here that Jesus wouldn't do this. I speak not according to the Lord, but rather he was admitting that by boasting, he was being very unlike the Lord. However, he had to do it to prove his love for the Corinthians and protect them from those who would lead them astray. Again, like I shared with you time and time again, we want you to go to heaven. And I know there are many false teachers. They're on the radio. They're on television. They're writing books. They come into congregations, even smaller ones, and and they want to lead you astray into a legalistic relationship with God. And Paul says, no, I, I don't want that. I want to protect you, right? Remember I told you many times this wasn't a power trip. It was a, a missions trip because Paul had planted that church and pastored the church. And when he left for Jerusalem, some false and foolish teachers had infiltrated the church. And so he was doing this for their own protection. And in one sense, almost making himself look bad for their own good. And even though uh, they were both boasting, now those guys are boasting, now Paul's boasting, we're going to see that in a little bit, there was a huge difference between Paul and these other guys. You see, Paul was boasting so that he might help the church, while the false teachers were boasting that they might help themselves. And so we read in verse 18, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast, for you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one slaps you around or strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that, but in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. You know, there's a a proverb. um, Maybe you read it and you're like wondering, does that ever happen? Well, here here it is. Proverbs 26.5. Do you guys remember that proverb? It says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Every once in a while, you got to fight fire with fire. Every once in a while, you got to go toe-to-toe. Every once in a while, you're going to have to come down to their level and answer them in a way as the Spirit would lead you in order to protect the people. And that's exactly what Paul is doing at this point. You know, and, and, and the thing is, you guys, we're going to see the nature of his boasting is so different It really is. Like I shared earlier, it was a forced boasting, but it was a focused boasting on the sovereignty of God and the weakness of man. And so these guys were boasting like the guys boast nowadays. And I want to share something with you guys. Even though you hear it all the time from guys that you might esteem, it's not right when individuals boast about themselves. You know, we see and hear many uh, guys, pastors, preachers, evangelists boasting nowadays. You know, we see it maybe on the back of their book covers, on their bios. The list of all their amazing accomplishments, the degrees and credentials, it goes on and on and on. 
and it's nauseating. It, it is. You know, we, we shouldn't have that type of heart where we would boast about what we do, about how many people we've led to the Lord or through this ministry. I don't think that's right. I mean, of course, only the Lord knows the heart, but we need to be very careful about things like that. You guys, the only thing I could boast in is my sinfulness, my weakness. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, it says this in the NIV. It says, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts, boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. We should never boast about how strong we are, rich we are, the great things that we've done. The only thing that we can say, by the grace of God, I know the Lord. You know, and that's my prayer, you guys, that we would have that type of heart. Even earlier in this same letter, 2 Corinthians ten seventeen, it says, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know, I was reading an article on Hudson Taylor. And, you know, Hudson Taylor was used by the Lord in such a tremendous way to impact China. And I believe that even today, his uh, ministry is still bringing forth fruit. But in August 1890, Hudson Taylor was invited to Australia to encourage the Christians there to become actively involved in the evangelization of China. And so he was there at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, and the chairman introduced him, you know, with the list of accomplishments and, you know, boom, all these things supposedly that he had done. And then he kind of tagged it at the end, describing Hudson Taylor as their illustrious guest. And so when Hudson Taylor stepped to the podium, he stood silent for a moment. And then he finally began and he said, dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. See, and that, that should always be our heart. Be careful, you know, that you never cultivate a desire to, in any way, make yourself look great. You know, we see here in verse 19, Paul here is addressing this issue. And these guys, unfortunately, they didn't understand it. In verse 19, he says, You put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. And so we see here Paul has a little bit of sarcasm. How many of you here are sarcastic people, just out of curiosity? You guys are funny, huh? Now let me ask you a question. Is all sarcasm bad? No. You know, sometimes you can use sarcasm to make a good joke, as long as it's not at the expense of someone else, hopefully. But you can actually use sarcasm to make a good point, huh? And that's what we see going on right here, especially if that sarcasm is sharp. You know, these guys were coming in, and we're going to see it, and I think we see it more clearly. How foolish, how foolish that you would, someone would come in and, and push you around like that without any real biblical authority to do the specifics that they were doing. How could you do that? You know, but, oh, you're so wise, huh? That, that's why, you see? The Corinthian church of all churches boasted in their wisdom, 
And here they are, though the wise ones, being full on fooled by fools. And so it was really a a, a Paul just sharing with them, come on, you guys, you know, wise up. They were not only putting up with fools, we see in verse 19, they were doing so gladly. Look what he says, for you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. I mean, the false teachers were coming in and and saying, uh, you know, legalistic things. Uh, They were bringing the body into bondage. They were devouring the disciples. They were taking rather than giving. They were exalting themselves rather than humbling themselves. They were even striking them on the face. And sometimes the rabbis would do that and, you know, their students would endure it and now was creeping into the church. And I was thinking about this the other day. Yesterday we were at the men's conference and it was cool what the Lord did. You know, pray for these guys that the Lord will really encourage them. You know, uh, and I was there and I had the opportunity to address the men. And, you know, you've probably heard this a million times from me, right? How the three things that will make a man fall are, are women, money, and pride, right? Especially pastors, for whatever reason, especially leaders, And so the Lord uh, really spoke to me and he said, okay, Manny, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask the congregation to pray for you. Okay, and I know you guys pray for me. And uh, sometimes people wonder, well, how can I pray for you? And I I think more, more than anything else, I'm so grateful that you pray for my family. You pray for my family. You pray for my wife and my kids. But one thing I would ask is that when you do pray for me, pray in those three areas that I would not, not, not women but that I would have purity. Purity, number one. Number two, not money, not the things that money can buy, but that I would have contentment. Contentment. And then number three, not pride. God, guard this guy. Guard the pastors here from pride and give us humility. Pride is the antithesis to that. And so what the Lord just said is ask them to pray for purity, ask them to pray for contentment, and ask them to pray for humility. Because it's so easy for a guy who, once they get to that position, to start exalting themselves. And that's exactly what these guys were doing. They were exalting themselves rather than really, and this is what I've learned, and I have failed in this area at times, but I've learned that the, a leader must be humble. I mean, when you see that pride beginning to creep up, it is so ugly. It's, it's the devil. He's got to humble himself. Imagine the Lord Jesus, how humble he was. That's what we need to be as leaders. You know, I mean, when you think about these guys going in there and doing all these things, I, you wonder how could it happen, you know? It was a heavy manipulation, undoubtedly. And, you know, for those of you who've been around, you know, um, over the years, one of the things that you'll probably notice is that some Christians like to be controlled uh, for whatever weird reason. You know, they just want somebody to tell them what to do, someone to kind of like be that 
authority in their life. Some disciples want to be dominated. They want like that big brother to boss them around. They want that big sister to be the Holy Spirit in bodily form. And this is why cults survive. But that's not Christianity. You guys need to know that, that you have a personal relationship with God and you need to ask Him to be the one to lead and guide your life. Unfortunately, these Corinthians, they took this whole thing, you know, I mean, by what bait, hook, line, and sinker, their bondage was due to the fact that they taught legalism rather than grace. You know, they were devouring them, and that devouring went hand in hand with their heart for taking rather than giving. They exalted themselves rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. They loved to be honored, and they loved to be treated as great leaders. They were even admiring, the Corinthians were admiring these imposters who were robbing them of their freedom, ripping them off, stealing them blind, putting them down, slapping them around. I mean, would you put up with that? You wouldn't, right? Because you guys are smarter than that. Look what he says in verse 21. To our shame, I say, Paul says, that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. And again, this Paul's using a little sarcasm, maybe a little irony here. And he says, to our shame, you know, we were too weak for that. And unfortunately, sometimes people, they misinterpret meekness for weakness. And it's not. You know, these guys went in there, type A personalities maybe, and they just took over. And it wasn't the Lord. You know, Paul here, he ministers to us. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, the Corinthians thought that Paul's meekness was weakness when it was really strength. And they thought that the Judaizers' arrogance was power. How ignorant the saints can be sometimes. But he says, you know what? They boasted, so we're going to boast as well. Undoubtedly, Paul is thinking, hoping, and praying that when they look at his boasting, they will be convinced by the Spirit that he was the one called and commissioned by Christ to Corinth. You know, you guys be careful of the wolves. Man, they're out there. There are those individuals. There are those lies that are propagated. Be careful, man, because we, we want you to go to heaven. I mean, you guys ever think about heaven? You ever think about that? I mean, imagine how awesome it's going to be. Imagine a place where chorizo con papas is good for you. Imagine that, man. I mean, think about it. You don't have to worry about it. I, don't, I love chorizo, but I don't eat it that much anymore because it just tears me up, man. But one day, we're going to be there in heaven. We're going to see God. We're going to see all the colors. We're going to hear all the sounds. There'll be no more sin, no more sickness, no more death. You guys, that's what we're fighting for. That's what we're fighting for. And the enemy is trying to take you the other way. And so Paul here says, I'm going to have to boast because I want to protect the body. And look what he says in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Uh, are, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Now, in verse 22, that's probably the only thing they had in common. You know, they were, they were Hebrews, and that means that they maintained the Jewish culture, the Jewish language. They knew that 
well, and Paul says, okay, they're Hebrews, they're Israelites, they're from Abraham, I am too. That's probably the only thing they had in common. But then Paul goes on to boast and notice the focus of his boasting in verse uh, 23, I am more, and now he's getting specific, in, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In, in, in looking at this, we, we actually get a list of what, what it is to, to be a minister and I'll be honest with you, what it, what it is that we look for in a minister. You know, what are you looking for in a true servant of God? You know, what is it that you're going to look for? What's his credentials? What are his resume, you know, you know, specifics? What is it to be in the ministry, you guys? Okay, and in looking at this, uh, and I'm going to try to give you some things to kind of hold on to, because maybe some of you here, you feel like you want to go into the ministry. You sense that calling. First word I'm going to share with you is kind of a weird one, but then the rest are not as weird, okay? The first word, however, is perspirations. Perspirations. Elonis there in verse 23a, he says, I, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more... Notice he says, in labors, more abundant. I mean, what we see right here in these labors is that Paul says the ministry is hard work. I mean, he labored more abundantly. There's no denying that Paul was a very, very, very hard worker. And I believe that God honored that. You know, I want to encourage you guys, no matter where you are, that you work hard. You work hard. God honors hard work, honest labor, especially when that labor is motivated by love. You know, some people believe that the ministry is not labor. Oh, if you want to kick back, have a nice job, become a pastor, right? But, you know, Paul the Apostle found it to be labor to the point of exhaustion. It was labor really in the truest sense of the word. And that's okay, you guys. I mean, you find when you really do it right, you're going to sweat. I mean, you're going to labor hard. And I know some say, well, it's not perspiration, it's inspiration. I understand what that means because you got to make sure that you do it in the Lord, but you got to make sure that you're not lazy. If you're going to be effective, if you want to do it right, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to wake up early to pray. And you're going to have to pray a lot. You're going to have to dig deep into the Word. And sometimes that spiritual labor is not as easy as some would say. So the Bible says that Epaphras, he prayed so hard that he agonized for the people. And the Bible says that when a pastor teaches, he should labor to the point of exhaustion in the Word. And you know, you're always on call 24-7. Things happen. You're all over the place. And that's okay. It should be that way. That's the ministry you know, and you're counseling and you're, you're just, you know, you're giving of yourself. It, it should be that way. Paul says, I, I labored more than they all. And that's the way it is when you have great responsibility. Have you guys ever heard that saying, the world is run by tired men? It's true. I mean, thank God every once in a while we kind of catch up on everything. But, 
you just never know what's around the corner. So number one is, is perspirations. Number two is persecutions. Persecutions. I mean, here Paul, it was a little bit more evident that the enemy was coming against him. I mean, he was beaten over and over again. He was thrown in prison repeatedly. He almost died many times and all that just because he was a bold believer, willing to share the truth even though it wasn't a popular message. Uh, imagine that, man, getting whipped five times with 39 lashes by the Jews, three times beaten with rods. He mentions a stoning here. And if you're wondering like, well, what a stoning was like, it wasn't baseballs. They would get big rocks, they would throw you over the side and they would throw these bricks at you. And so you read that account in Acts 14, 19 through 20, when they stoned him and he died. I mean, blood was probably everywhere. He was bruised, he was beaten, he was battered by those stones. But that time, the Lord chose to raise him from the dead. I mean, these are the things that Paul experienced. Imagine getting stoned like that, okay? Uh, how many of you here would retire after that, you know? I mean, if that happened to me, I, seriously, if someone came and they beat me down, they just beat me down, right? I'm out there on the mission field and someone comes and they does something like that and literally he dies. I know the way the church is. Everyone would say, Manny, come home. Manny, take some time off. Manny, you know, you need to rest up and think about this. Maybe you should write books instead or something, you know? I mean, how many of us would, would probably do that but Paul didn't. You know what he did? When you read the story, he got right back up and he went right back into the city. That was Paul. I mean, that was amazing to me. You know, I mean, again, I would probably have gone somewhere else or maybe taken some time off. I think justifiably so. Maybe even retire, you know, after reasoning. Some would say, Manny, don't do it. It's suicide. It's not suicide if you know the will of God. And sometimes God will test us to see whether or not you're true. Why do you think the Lord used Paul in such a mighty way? He wasn't afraid, right? I mean, Paul was real, and this was all part of his calling, and he answered that call from God. And no mass of humanity and even combined forces of hell couldn't stop him. He's boasting about these things because they proved that he was really called. Later, when they told Paul that he was about to suffer and be imprisoned in Acts 20, verse 23 and 24, it says, The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, I think about the Christians all around the world who are being persecuted. You know, I think about Pastor Saeed Abedini, who has definitely earned his stripes there in the prison of Iran. You know, if you get a chance, you can go online. Uh, there's a website, prisonalert.com, and you can write letters to Christians who are persecuted for their faith. You know, around the world today, Christians are being persecuted and some nations, you guys probably are aware of this, it's illegal to own a Bible, to share your faith, to change your faith, or teach your children about Jesus. 
And those who boldly follow Christ in spite of government edicts or radical opposition face harassment, arrest, torture, and death. And yet Christians continue to meet in those places for worship and witness. And that church is growing. You see, and that might happen to us, you know, one day, the opposition, the persecution. But sometimes it's not just physical, huh? It manifests itself in various ways. You know, I do know this, that that part of the resume of a real minister is he's going to work hard, perspirations, and he's going to experience some sort of persecutions where the enemy comes against them. Okay, If you want to be in the ministry, get ready for that. Not only perspirations and persecutions, but also perils. Look at verse 25b. He says, uh, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep. It's kind of funny, this is a quick side note, some people don't even want to fly. Like, I don't want to fly to Cambodia. I don't like fly. I'm afraid of flying. Come on. And it's, it's very safe, to be honest with you. Paul here says, I was out there shipwrecked a night and the day, been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water. Perils means dangers. In perils of uh, water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among False brethren in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness. I mean, this is, this is the ministry. This is a true minister. Stanford University, they have calculated that Paul the Apostle traveled over 10,300 miles by ship alone as just as chronicled in the book of Acts, totaling a 281 days at sea, 1,731 denarii, about $250,000 in modern-day currency. And you guys probably know that traveling in those days was extremely dangerous and uncomfortable, but it was the adventure, right, to say the least. I mean, Paul reached out to the lost. A lot of us won't even go across the street. You know, three times he was shipwrecked. And this was written before the shipwreck of Acts 27. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be cool? Floating on the, on the piece of wood in the sea. Would you guys like that, you know? Kick off a few sharks right there, right? <laughs> I mean, adrift, night and day, dangerous journeys, robberies. I mean, they, they, hey, stick them up, you know? I mean, I mean, he's ministering to these people, hostile Jews and Gentiles, traveling through the projects, man, those certain cities that were dangerous, deserts, not to mention the dangers with the people who said they were Christians and they weren't, right? And all that we've read up to this point would lead to what we read there in verse 27, the weariness and toil and the sleeplessness and all those things, you know? It's, it's so bad here. That the word carry, the word weariness, it carries the idea of beating the breast with grief and sorrow. The toil here, it speaks of hard and difficult labor, hardship, even distress. It's extremely hard work. You know, the cold and nakedness right here, it doesn't mean that Paul was completely naked because that would be repugnant to the Jews. It simply refers to the lack of sufficient clothing especially in cold weather. As a matter of fact, we read that passage in 1 Corinthians 4.11. It 
It says, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Homeless. I mean, and this is probably the greatest minister that's ever lived except for Jesus. So if you want to know like what, what a model ministry is, look at Paul. This was Paul. I mean, have you ever been cold, really cold, and without a jacket? That was the great Apostle Paul. We have drifted so far away, haven't we? I mean, some ministers today, they try to prove their ministry and their anointing and blessing from God with all the expensive clothes that they wear. And yet for Paul, the confirmation for ministry was actually the time when he actually didn't have the clothing. God help us. You know, when you look at a minister, you're going to see perspirations and persecutions and perils and pressure. Look at verse 28. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? I mean, apart from that, I mean, Paul says, just the way that it's a heavy, it's just heavy on my heart. Warren Wiersbe said, the word translated care means pressure, stress, anxiety. He said, the other experiences were external from without and occasional, but the burden of the churches was internal and constant. You know, his greatest burden was not around him, right, but within him. And as you think about the people and just the enemy comes in in various ways and tries to discourage you with that double-edged sword, right, of doubt and discouragement. He's harassing us all the time as ministers, as pastors, as Christians. We share that anxiety, that pressures, the cares, the burdens. I know you know what I'm talking about. They're heavy on your heart. Right here he mentions the fact that, 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 when, that when someone's weak, he gets weak. When one stumbles, it just tears them up inside. You know, when someone's led into sin, they're led astray. It, it, it just tears him up and he burns with anger. And so we close in verse 30. He says this, And if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my weakness or my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is blessed forever knows I'm not lying in Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that'd be exciting. Dun, 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 dun. That's what you're thinking, huh? No, man. I mean, the king is after you. I mean... I mean, can you imagine the mayor or we'll say the chief of police is, is after you? There's a warrant for your arrest because you've been telling people about Jesus. You've been clearly communicating the gospel so all the streets are blocked. Can you imagine that? Checkpoints everywhere flooded with law enforcement. So there you are trying to escape and after three days of planning you end up escaping I don't know, let's just say through the sewer system or maybe when someone snuck you out in a giant ice chest or 
They built some kind of suitcase or a secret compartment. I mean, that's how Paul lived his life, you know. And I, and I think that for some people, this is what they think. And, and, I, and I, I mean, there's so much we can say about this. But they think that when you're a Christian, especially when you're anointed by God, that everything goes smooth and well. There's no hiccups. There's no bumps in the road. There's no struggles of life. Just everything goes perfect. And Paul here says, no, the devil and all hell will oppose you. And that proves that you're in the right place. The devil doesn't kick a dead horse. He goes after those who are, who are making a difference. You know, one thing I've learned is that, and I, and I just share this with you guys um, when it comes to people, we can maybe think of our children or those that are struggling. I mean, I, I, I can't change anyone else. I can't change my, my, you know, my kids or the people in the church. But I can do whatever I can to protect them. And that's where, where Paul was. You know, he came to that place, I'm going to protect them. I'm going to boast. I'm going to stoop down to their level because they need to know that I really am called and I really do care. And as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a life of suffering. Jesus suffer? Did Jesus suffer? Yeah. So do you think those who follow him are going to suffer? Absolutely. Don't be discouraged. Let me close with that wonderful poem by Amy Carmichael. She says this, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them all, thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent Leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, by thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? You know, one day when we stand before the Lord... You know, God is not looking for stars. He's looking for scars. And if you serve the Lord with all your heart, the enemy will come against you. But don't be discouraged. Because those things that he attempts to put into your life as stumbling stones, they'll be stepping stones. Those tragedies, by the grace of God, will be transformed into victory. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.